0: Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business.
1: Today, we're speaking with Katie North, a certified financial planner and founder of North Financial Advisors. Katie shares how she left the corporate world to start her own advisory firm and how she found her niche in the world of financial planning.
0: She also shares some great financial planning tips, as well as how she wrote and published her book, The Resiliency Effect, during the pandemic. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Katie. How are you today?
2: I'm great.
0: And where are you calling in from? I hear it's someplace sunny as well.
2: Yes, yeah, Southern California and San Diego. Very sunny day today. Gorgeous.
0: Aww. I think our, our um, climate is the same, Sydney and San Diego. It's pretty close. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so... You have an interesting story and an interesting business. Um, why don't you get started by telling us how you became the woman you are today?
2: Sure. So um, I I had a long career in a corporate life, um, in always in finance. Um, yeah. Did a lot of um, you know financial regulation, talking nationally and speaking nationally about how financial regulation impacts businesses, consumers, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, But I, after having that long career in in the corporate space, I realized, you know, it didn't jazz me (laughs) and I wasn't getting the kind of fulfillment that you think that you're supposed to get from a career like that. And having all Mm -hmm. the success that came with it, it just wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And um, I, I was getting my MBA um, at the time, and basically, I at the the la the I went in for my last presentation of my MBA, and the very next day, I went into my office and I quit my job. <laughs> and, <laughs> I had a a loose idea of what I was going to do. I would say loose idea, given that I I know that I'm in finance and wanted to do like more personal finance related things. But I had almost zero plan in place Mm -hmm. as to how I was going to achieve that.
1: Yeah, Was that scary? Um, Did you feel nervous doing that? Or were you quite confident in just, because you're just so set on leaving the corporate world? uh, It's
2: a a little bit of both. It's sort of like a breakup, you know, when you're, (laughs) you know, you need to, to do it, but actually, you know, making it happen is a very scary thing, but in the end, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah, Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. It's kind (laughs) of like a breakup.
0: Yeah, it's true. I really do think that women break up with jobs. I think that that's not even silly. I think that that's how we do it. We like either try or, you know, advocate and whatever and get as far as we can. And then eventually we just, we just dump them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, interesting, okay, so what happened next? You broke up with your job i I broke up with my job
2: and I went on a sabbatical um luckily yes. I had you know I, like I had the money saved yeah. i had um you know I was sort of recovering from kind of workaholism and uh, like an addiction to busyness really mm-hmm. so the sabbatical was a really good opportunity for me to learn how to be one comfortable with myself. Two to have zero to do lists and you know unstructured time so that I could just explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and three to really work through. I think some of the like trauma and um, frustration that I experienced not just in my corporate jobs but like throughout my entire life almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to focus on mental health. To to focus on um, kind of more nourishing activities as opposed to things that continued to deplete me.
1: Yeah. yeah. Totally understandable. So what so, were you doing that was like nourishing activities? Yes. And where were well, they? Well, a lot of
2: it was, it, I, I did, I, I traveled, but travel was something that I got to do even when when I was in the corporate life. So uh-huh. it wasn't something I was missing necessarily. Gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah. But for me, it was the nourishing aspect of it was to really have unstructured time. So yeah. in the morning, I didn't want to schedule, you know, it's like, if I chose to go to yoga class, that would be great. I can go pick up a yoga class, yeah. um, but it had a lot to do with connecting with people, mm-hmm. you know, getting coffees Um you know, taking time to work out, take walks, meet up with friends. That was a lot of what was nourishing to me. Mm -hmm. feel like a human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A human being and (laughs) then a human doing. Yeah, Yeah,
0: exactly. Did you have a like, and I'm going to ask you this because I've done this before as well. So did you have like a massive anxiety attack when you started taking the sabbatical or were you cool with it? I, it,
2: I, it depended on the day, you know, some yeah. days I would wake up and feel like I was in a really good place. And then I would look down at the floor and notice a scratch on my wood floors. And I would think, oh my gosh, I've got to do something about this. If there's a scratch on my wood floors and I would immediately start filling up my brain and my life with things to do. Mm-hmm. And then in the next breath, I would say, well, you know what? a scratch on my floor is really not a big deal and you can take a chill. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of that sort of self-talk back and forth where I'd have these moments, these freak out moments that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then I would try to talk myself down from that and and kind of discover a new path forward. And yeah. that, that turned out to be a really good thing for me.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I took a sabbatical back in God, 2017, beginning of 2017 and it was just for a couple months, but I went to India and like lived in a hut Hmm. and I had, like I was one of the very few Americans there. There were a bunch of Europeans and people from the UK and stuff like that and like South Africa and whatnot. And they were like, Natalie, you've got to calm down. Like, you've got to just sit and like read or something or like listen to music. <laughs> like, you can't. Because <laughs> like, I got there and I was like, okay, what am I doing next? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, because you're so in that mode and you mm-hmm. don't actually know how to rest, which I thought yeah. was very interesting. So what happened to you next? You've got this rest. You've, you're starting to be a human. What happens now? So I, I didn't have a
2: timeline set for my sabbatical. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, you know, I didn't have a drop dead date or something that was going to mean that I needed to like get back to work or do something at a certain time. So I let myself kind of explore a little bit. And I, when, I, when people would ask me, I would say, oh, I'm just taking a, a sabbatical. It'll be about six months. Not really sure yet. Uh, and kind of leave it a little vague, mm-hmm. um, and then as I, you know, worked through it, I think over a course of a couple of months, that antsiness started to kick in a bit. Yeah. And through some of the discussions that I was having with people, you know, just casual coffees, I started to discover a little bit more about what I was going to be doing when I eventually came out of the sabbatical. And and so, you know, what I my process initially was to see whether there were f- existing firms, women-owned firms uh, that would offer financial planning services to young people, you know, yeah. people who are sort of in my um, demographic, women in their 30s, women in their 40s, um, yeah. successful in their careers, but trying to navigate, you know, finances, which is this massive topic that no one knows anything about and not it's just, not taught in schools.
1: Yeah, not just retirees and thinking about financial planning as something for later in life, like it's something that we need now, but we're not talking about.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So, you know, my process was to talk to people in this industry. And when I found that what I wanted to do, it actually didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so here I am trying to link up with other firms and most of them are serving the retiree, the, you know, they're not really interested in growing. Mm -hmm. And so that was information for me that said, well, I'm going to have to build this myself and luckily, I had the headspace to to sort of do it. And so my approach was to start gathering information. There was a few certifications I needed to do. Um, so it, it, you know, part-time study, part-time exploration uh, is what my sabbatical kind of turned into.
1: Wow. So it's kind of like a year of market research. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So then, then you founded your business.
2: Yep, yep. So that's North so, Financial
1: Advisors. Uh,
2: Yes. Yeah. So I, I founded North Financial Advisors in 2015 and um, basically toward the very tail end of the year was able to to have everything sort of up and running. And like, I really had business cards and a website and, you know, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had been, you know, several months in the making. Um, and, you know, it took me maybe six weeks or so to get my first client. I you know, sent out kind of a mass email to people to let people know what I was going to be doing. And that turned into a few phone calls. And those few phone calls ended up turning into, you know, some of my first clients. Yeah.
1: Um, so how does it work with financial planning and advice? Like, do you pay, as a client, do you pay like a fee for advice up front? Or is it over a period of time? Like, if, if I'm, so I'm in my like early 30s, and I, I want some financial help, like, how, I don't really know this much about it, so I'm genuinely very interested to know how it works as a model and how that's then accessible for people at this age.
2: Yeah, so definitely, the, the way to serve uh, this demographic is to have a you know fee for advice. Um, uh-huh. So you can think of me as like um, like almost like paying a, a CPA or paying uh, a, a life coach. You know, yeah. you you pay someone for their time and. Um, the process. So there is a component that's an upfront fee. And then I also break the rest of the fee up into a monthly payment. So people can more easily budget it into their monthly budget.
1: Yeah, cool. So then it's kind of like you can like give a call now and then and just see how things are going
2: yeah I mean, in the first year it's very it's pretty structured. We have uh, several meetings to talk through everything, mm-hmm. uh, and I always make myself available to clients outside of those meetings via email or if you know we need to hop on a quick call mm-hmm. um and then in after the first year, it becomes a little bit more choose your own adventure because not every client is the same, and not everyone wants to sit and talk to their financial advisor once a month either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it usually revolves around things that people have going on in their life, yeah. you know, whether they're trying to buy a house or trying to start a family or trying to change careers or, or start a business.
1: Yeah. Hmm. So what are some of the kind of common problems or mistakes that you've seen, especially women make with their finances um, and how can they basically stop making them?
2: Yeah. So a lot of people are very reactive, I would say to hmm. their finances. Hmm. Um, you know, they work really hard to get a promotion or change jobs and get a big raise, and then they immediately find a way to spend into right. the raise. You know, we call that life, lifestyle creep. And it happens to everyone, you know, but that's yeah. a that's a sign of being very reactive to your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the correct approach is really to be a bit more strategic and to take a step back and say, well, what's really important to me in my life? Mm-hmm. Um You know, what am I working towards and what's going to take, what's a way that I can find some balance between my current self needs, those things that we all want to do and we all want to have, we have kind of on the tip of our tongue Uh and our future self, which is really hard to conceive of, uh, especially when our future self that we really want might take a decade or more to, to get there. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, So I do spend a lot of time helping clients find that balance um, because it doesn't make sense to put everything towards the future, but it also doesn't make sense to just only live for the now.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's the balance of strike, isn't it? Because on like some people argue like, oh, you know, YOLO, you only live once, like want to experience everything right now while I'm young and have the money. But then at the other side of it, it's like, well, you know, you, you need to have a nest egg and you need to have savings. So you can't just blow it all on going to boat parties and like, fancy cars and holidays and stuff like that just because it's fun in the moment I think the most interesting uh part of this or
0: like the most interesting way to explore this is like for anyone who's ever been laid off or made redundant in their life Mm. like you drastically change your spending habits and at first you're just kind of like oh man and you've got to like budget a lot more but then after a while, your happiness kind of equals out and, like, you're, you're watching your money more, but you're just as happy as you were when you had that, so true. you know, six-figure salary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that we, when, like, we, I say we, like, millennials, have the money coming in, we just kind of, like, you know, make it rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, like, we get laid off and we're like, we know how to budget. We know how to, like, be scrappy, but yet we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also
2: a sort of a, a comparison with others thing yeah. that happens yeah. where it's like, oh, well, so and so goes on vacation five times a year. Why can't I go on vacation five <laughs> times a year? And so and so does this blah, blah, blah skincare routine. Maybe I need to do this skincare routine. And, um, it, it, but there's no, it, it's really difficult to do that because you don't know their insides, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. have the inside look at what their finances are and yeah. whether they're planning for their futures or thinking through big things right. that you want to think through. Yeah. Um, and so that's where, you know, the thinking can get, get a little muddied, I think.
1: Do you think social media has made people worse with their personal finances?
2: I think in some cases it can contribute to um, this kind of discontent mm-hmm. because you do see only the good things on social media. You never see the struggle. Yeah, and it's uh, it can be a very slippery slope um, mm-hmm. if you if you're kind of glued to the screen and and looking all at all the things that you think you're missing.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I find it really interesting because I've had situations with some friends before where I've said like, "Oh, I can't afford to do that," and they're like, "Why? What are you saving for?" And I'm like, "Hello, like." just general life, life. <laughs> <laughs> like I think there's some like sort of misconception that you have to have like a goal like a sh- it's always like a short-term goal of saving like people will save for like a holiday or they save for like something but there's never like that kind of attitude towards having a general savings account for a rainy day for a redundancy for a global pandemic that could put you out of work yeah, or right. you know have <laughs> like less clients um how do you think we can change people's attitude on that? Is that education?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, people know generally that they need to have some kind of emergency fund, Mm -hmm. but they don't really know how much they need for an emergency fund. And there's also a lot of things that I would categorize as contingencies rather than emergencies that you should save for, you know, like. Um, things that just don't come up, but, but every once in a while, like maybe an insurance policy that you have that you only pay twice a year or, you know, some sort of dental work or work on your car that, that comes up unexpectedly. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not that these things are unexpected. I mean, this sort of stuff happens. It's sort of the timing, the amount is what is the, the unknown piece. And so Mm -hmm. I call it sort of contingency planning. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason why you need some financial buffers to, to address it. Right. Mm
0: Um, there's a really fun, sorry, there's, I I just have to, there's a really fun word for that, that I think Eleves came up with and it's not the fuck it bucket, but it's something like that. Like it's when you, you need to have something for. Like if you just want to quit everything, <laughs> or you just want yes. to like change your life, I don't know if you know what what I'm talking about, but it's like, it, there's some sort of word that's going around.
2: Yeah, uh, I think if they just call it like an FU fund. Yes, um, you're right.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Like when you need when you when you're just done and you need to like quit your job or something. Gosh, we all need ha- one of them. Yeah, to have
1: a <laughs> <laughs>
0: <to have> fund. <laughs>
2: Yes. But, you know, the the other thing I see happening with women is they sometimes take that a little too far. And so they feel really, really comfortable having a lot of cash. And then it starts to be this massive nest egg that... Really, you shouldn't hold on to that much cash. At some point, you reach an upper limit of what is safe and protects you uh, in those ways. And so another problem that I see oftentimes is, you know, women who have had a long legal career or have done really well, I mean, they literally have no time for anything else and they just... You know, have massive amounts of cash, hundred thousand dollars sitting in a savings account, mm-hmm. and that's too much, right? Yeah. We, we need to figure out how to give dollars a job, and so then the discussion becomes: okay, well, when do you start investing outside of retirement? When do you start thinking through other types of financial strategies other than just this is my budget? How do I stay within my budget? Yeah, kind of thing.
1: That yeah. Sense. I think that's so true. I'd like to ask a question on what you your opinion is is on having separate bank accounts of a husband or wife or life partner.
0: Sylvie so just got married.
1: <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> this isn't about me because we well we do have separate we have a joint one as well. I'm just wondering like in in kind of in general, because it used to be that obviously like well, this is my interpretation, so it might not be like this at all. But that you would get married, and then you would just have the one account, and then that was it, and then it was like a, a family kind of fund. Oh, but, really? Was that
0: your interpretation? Yeah. Ooh, but, you, you're a really trusting human.
1: Yeah, But that, and that's <laughs> not what we've got, but that's what I'm just, like, historically, oh, you would you. have, like, a family account. But now that we are sort of, like everyone's working in a family, uh, the most part anyway, like me and my husband both mm-hmm. have our separate bank accounts. Do you think that's something that you should maintain and have that financial independence or is it better to like put money together? Or uh, I guess this is kind of a very general question that <laughs> it depends on each yeah. person's situation, but have you, I guess, noticed a shift in the way that couples now handle their joint finances or do they maintain a separate financial presence?
2: Yeah, I do notice this as a shift and that more and more people are comfortable keeping finances separate to some degree. Mm -hmm. I usually advocate for a yours, mine, and ours formula. And whether that the yours portion is everybody's money gets dumped into that or Mm -hmm. it's just a portion of individual pay that goes into that is sort of the choice and and the discussion that we have around the the, the individual's, you know situations. Yeah. So the way yours, mine, and ours works is you know, basically you maintain autonomy and yeah. you don't want to, you, you definitely don't want to police each other's spending. So you want to have a component of your personal finances that are s- completely separate. And it's not mm-hmm. because you're trying to hide anything. No. You want to be com- transparent about that. You just don't want to be in a position to police each other's spending. I mean because yeah. the top 5,
1: you know, there's five
2: <laughs> things that couples fight about and money is the number one thing, yeah. followed closely behind sex, kids, you know, and then in-laws, right? Yeah. So
0: And sometimes all these yeah. things are combined. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So
2: I look for ways to reduce that friction, yeah. and oftentimes that's the that's the best solution, right? Mm-hmm. Either whether it's like you're giving you're giving e- uh, each of you an allowance, and there's a, a central bucket for everything, uh-huh. or you keep everything separate, and then you pay into the joint account via kind of an allowance method of whatever the joint expenses are. Yeah, and usually um, it's the second one that is for like newlywed couples, but then once kids enter the picture, it might revert to more of a centralized with like. Um, some allowances going out to separate accounts. Yeah,
1: cool. That sounds like such a good, perfect compromise. I love the name. It's like a marketer could come up with it. Yours by an ours fund.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. So nice.
1: So what are your opinions on some, like this is quite topical at the moment because it's absolutely booming, but high risk investments like cryptocurrencies and things like that. Is this something that you could advise on like proportioning a small amount of money towards? Do you think it's too risky or what kind of investments are you mainly like putting forward to people to as advice?
2: Well, if you're, if you don't have an emergency fund and you're still paying off high interest rate credit card debt and you're not maxing out your retirement accounts, you have no business hopping into any of these risky types of investments, Hmm. even if you have a few bucks to throw at it. Yeah. Because you really should be putting your money towards the safer, more appropriate types of, you know, financially responsible type things. Mm -hmm. Um, But to the extent that all of those things are good for you and you're looking for ways to invest outside of retirement because you've reached that threshold, Mm -hmm. then I would say it, you know, it makes sense if you really want to keep those, if you are interested in taking on that risk, um, to keep it to a very tiny, tiny portion of your overall net worth, like yeah. maybe one percent total, um, the rest of it is, you know, what I work with all my client with my clients is to do fully diversified across the entire globe investing. Yeah. Okay. Um, we don't specialize in any one company, any one. Um, country, mm-hmm. we just really focus in on buying the entire market mm-hmm. um, because that's the way that you avoid having the you know experiencing the super super high highs and the super super low lows. Yeah. and you tend to recover a lot faster as well when there are market downturns, mm-hmm. which they happen more often than birthdays.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and is that's an index fund then, isn't it? When you're investing across the board at the on the entire market, like the S and P five hundred. Index fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An yeah. index fund would,
2: would cover one one sliver, right? The S&P 500 is 500 U.S. companies, yeah. largely. But there are many other types of index funds that cover, you know, developing markets and emerging markets mm-hmm. and, you know, small cap funds and mid cap funds and, and all sorts of things like that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So it sounds like really, especially with the help of a financial planner, like even if you don't really know that much about, Um, money and finances and investing, that there's actually some like low fidelity ways that you can make your money work harder for you rather than just sat in a savings account, which I guess at the moment with inflation and interest rates being historically low, like you're kind of losing money if it's just sat in a savings account.
2: For sure. For Mm -hmm. sure. You really do have to think about the purpose Mm -hmm. of the money and give it a job because, I mean, you definitely don't want to invest money that you're going to need in the next three years because, between today and three years from now, no one can predict what the market will do. Yeah. And so cap cash is appropriate for that. But for money that is way long term, that you're not gonna be bothered, you know, if it's if you don't touch it for five, ten, or twenty years, mm-hmm. investing, you know, broadly in, in a diversified portfolio is a really excellent way to build long term wealth.
1: Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I'd love to talk to you about your book as well that you um, recently published and it's called The Resiliency Effect How to Own Your Adversity to Act on Your Biggest Dreams Um, what inspired you to write this book what's it about who's it for can you tell us all about it also how did you write a book (laughs) uh
2: pandemic no kids <laughs> uh, that, that's the situation I found myself in in 2020 um but also I I actually linked up with an author cohort that helped me kind of just stay on track with my book writing oh cool and mm-hmm. that was extremely helpful and a, and a nice way to build community too during a pandemic
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so what, um, what was the, the, yeah what was the, the inspiration
2: the, the inspiration for the book is in my work with clients, right? We all have these big dreams that we can name. And usually the clients or prospects, when they come talk to me, they, they've got the list, you know, they've got these big things they want to do. A lot of times it's a, a career change or starting a business or, or maybe retiring early even. And mm-hmm. um, then immediately we talk about ways to, to arrive there, but they they don't they're actually not acting on these things. They're mm-hmm. they're actually not doing anything to it to work towards these dreams on their own. And I wanted to find out why that was. And I could identify with it too, because I did the same thing. I mean, it was probably eight years from the time I had originally said to myself and wrote in a journal that I wanted to do one-on-one personal finance, you know, working for myself before I actually made the leap to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, in a lot of ways, the book, it was a way for me to chronicle my own journey and, and also incorporate wisdom from dozens of women who had done their big dreams, who had actually gone out and achieved them. Wow. And so that's what it was.
1: Oh my gosh. So how did you then like interview them and have them sort of feature in the book and their stories?
2: Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, I interviewed more than 50 people for the book. A lot of them were um, people that I knew, um, people that I had been introduced to. And then a lot of times I would find people through TED Talks they had given or mm-hmm. books they had written and would reach out and kind of cold call and say, hey, I'm writing this book and I'd love to to talk with you. Um, so it was a, it was a lot of fun pulling all that together. And I think you know, as humans, we learn so much better from stories. Yeah. It doesn't do any good just to hear regurgitate information, you know. Yeah. Um, it's Stories really make uh, our brains light up in a different way, you know, yeah. in a way that we can relate and understand. And so I wanted to make sure that it was very a relatable book and had a lot of those those pieces.
1: Yeah, stories just give you that context and then you can really, like, it's like a case study. You can kind of see how it works in real life. Um, mm-hmm, Totally. So, with the book, then, is this something that you self-published, or did you find a publisher for this? and how does that work?
2: So I have a hybrid publisher, and what that means is that the, you know they had in-house editors, uh, layout people, designers, all sorts of things like that, um, but I basically paid them to do that work mm-hmm. and then their name, New Degree Press, is on the book, but they don't own the rights to the book. I own all 100% of the rights to the book awesome. um, and to how it gets marketed and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And then, so it's currently available on Amazon. Um, was that quite an easy process to do? Or what's your advice around being a kind of hybrid self-published author in getting the word out there about a new book if, you, if you're a first-time author?
2: Yeah, so actually getting published uh, on Amazon is very easy. Um, You know, luckily, New Degree Press, my publisher, had a lot of assistance in in helping me through that. Mm -hmm. Um, But all this information is also available on the Internet. I mean, a lot of people do self-publishing these days and can go straight through it. the The hard part, though, is the marketing of the book because it does take a lot. it takes a whole different part of your brain mm-hmm. and thought process. and here I am, you know, I run a business every day too and and I wear so many hats already that book marketer is like a totally separate thing, right <laughs> um, and and I find too that the you know, maybe it's not maybe I don't need to focus on that either, right? The, yeah. the idea was never necessarily for me to be a number one New York Times bestseller, although that would be fantastic if that suddenly happened. Um, the, really, the, the purpose was, uh, it, I mean, honestly, it was to share a lot of my own journey and, and to get all that down on paper was really helpful. Uh-huh. Um, for myself, but for the people who've read it so far, I know that, that they've appreciated it. Um, and, you know, just to, to have the, the credibility I think that comes with having a book um, makes it so that people are more aware of me or that when they kind of dig in, into who is that Katie North person? Oh, she wrote a book. Okay, interesting. Um, it's sort of like a, a bit more of a calling card than like having a YouTube channel or, yeah. uh, or that sort of a thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, cool. So if someone wants to buy the book or work with you as a financial advisor, where can they find you?
2: So a central hub where all of my work is, is um, my website, katynorth.com. And my name is spelled a little funny, so I always spelled it out. Uh, C-A-D-Y-N-O-R-T-H dot com. And- you can find information on my book there, on North Financial Advisors, as well as uh, what I have coming out later this fall, which is a financial resilience course. Awesome. And so that that's something that I'm going to be working on this year.
1: Ooh, I think that's something that we all need. <laughs> financial <laughs> resilience. Well, we need resilience in all aspects of our life, but definitely financial. Um, Thank you Mm -hmm. so much, Katie. It was so interesting to speak with you on everything that you're doing. Um, I think it's awesome. So thanks for coming on the podcast, and good luck with the course later in the year.
0: Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, Listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.